Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got to know, can soap be dirty? And if so, how do you clean it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I I have lots of follow-up questions, but uh, the, like one is like, which form of soap? Well, yes, with you know that's I mean? like a, a bar of soap, or or like soap that's in a pump, or something like that. So, uh, but my my gut level reaction is yes, because I feel like certain soap that I pick up, I have to clean before I use it. So, like if I fi- if like okay, okay, if I found a bar of soap that was like sitting like in the bo- like the, the like it fell and it was sitting in the corner of like the tub or the the shower, and it was mm-hmm. kind, of, like, kind of felt like it was in a grimy place. If I was like, I can't waste a bar of soap, I'm not going to throw it out. So what you do is you like just rinse, you like rub it off until the outer layer of the soap is gone and then you can use it. But how do you know like if it's how pen, how deep it penetrates? Well, it's it's all psychological. Oh. It's all psychological. See, but I, like if I find if I find like a hair on it, like I know whose hair it is, right? Like I'm literally going to go and like touch my wife's hair in like a minute, but then if, but if I find it on the soap, I gotta like I gotta like scrub it off. I don't know if that's saying more about me than the soap, though. <laughs> Eric, I deeply and emphatically do not want to be thinking about Clayton's shower. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It's very true. He took it there. I didn't. <laughs> if you've ever been to a truck stop, you know soap can be soap dirty. Can be dirty. What is it's it's the bar of soap. Not liquid soap. Like when you're in, like, there's like a dispenser of soap. No, pumps can be gross. Well, then you take, you you don't <laughs> touch it with your hand. So you walk into it, you know, take like, there's like the, the paper towel racks there, the paper towel, you like pull a piece and then you do the and little soap thing. You do it. Yeah, that's what I do. I don't touch anything in the bathroom with my it, hands. That just says something about me. I'm a germaphobe. It is, it is weird to think the soap itself is dirty. But Not liquid soap. The it's liquid clean. soap. But if there's something in the liquid soap, like if there's a bug floating in the liquid soap. The bars of soap are dirty. I wouldn't even touch a bar Or if somebody mixed stuff into the soap. So, you know, like in some hotels, like in the shower, they have on the wall mounted the shampoo, conditioner, and body wash. Sometimes I wonder, like, how do I know that the person in this hotel room before me didn't think, like, ha here's what I'm going to do. Oh, and, no. And you just, just made put, me so paranoid. No, oh, gross things in there that I don't – so I don't ever use those. I don't ever oh, use them either. Oh, my gosh, dude. Now I'm never going to be able to use those. <laughs> I don't trust all of humanity who may have been in that hotel room before me. That's right. Oh, oh now oh, now I've oh. – Yeah, so mm. I, I have two answers. Really One, do. I want to repeat. I deeply and emphatically <laughs> do not want to be thinking about Clayton Shower. Second, yes, soap can be dirty. Yes. Okay, I, I agree. We all agree We're that all soap agreed. can be dirty. How do you clean it? You just take, you, you clean you, it, you, you, you clean you, it like, you like it Clayton does. You wipe it off. By the way, prior to us recording this episode, Clayton said, and I quote, I think our banter has gotten a lot better. <laughs> I. It's, Maybe. I have to imagine that if that was the trajectory, that it has taken a sharp turn after this conversation. But I would like to know from our listeners if you think our banter has gotten better. So let us know by emailing us at... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh no! Do it again. Do it again. Sorry, I was writing a note. So we'd like to know. Email us at... Podcast at BibleSavvy.com. I'm so oh disappointed. Gosh. 
Oh, my goodness. (laughs) All right, Clayton, what are we talking about today? All right, we are continuing on in Paul's letters. We've just got a couple more to go. Uh, We are in 1 Timothy, and so I've picked the passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, Timothy is a pastor who is in Ephesus, and he is uh, kind of a a protege of Paul's. And so Paul is uh, writing to Timothy this letter, giving instructions on how to go about some of the challenges that he's facing. Uh, And so that's kind of the context for this. Uh, This is a a mentor writing to um, a young pastor and saying, here's some tips on certain things that you're facing. So we'll start reading in Timothy 6, verse 6, and we'll go through uh, the end of the chapter or through 21. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from the godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. All right. The O in comma is observation. That's what do we see here? What uh, do we note from this passage? Uh, The first thing that I saw was just this repeating uh, phrase of or word of contentment, right? Um, but then it's a contrast between, uh, being content with what you have. Okay. So food, clothing, um, and then the contrast between like those who are rich falling into temptation, going after all these things, which is, uh, discontentment essentially. Uh, what stuck out to me probably because I'm a pastor and you have Paul coaching a young pastor, uh, when he's talking about the dangers of loving money. And when someone loves money, the pursuit of just more and more money causes people to do all kinds of immoral, damaging things. But then he turns in verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this 
and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love. So he's, he's, he's drawing a contrast here between a life, what a life looks like when there's the love of money and the pursuit of just getting more money versus the things that pastors and, and probably more broadly, we could say this, all Christians are called to. Uh, and so as a pastor who have, and I guess a lot of people have seen this, witnessed it, so many pastors out there who quite honestly, their fall was because of their love of money. Now, it manifested itself in a lot of different ways, but there's an awful lot of people out there who were leading churches who let the love of money sneak in, and it caused all kinds of damage. I observe in at the end of that first paragraph, the way Paul describes the outcome, the kind of the, the thing to look out for uh, with the love of money is that it leads to harm, ruin, destruction. It talks about being pierced with many griefs, and it's... A little different. It's clearly a warning about about pursuing money, uh, but it's a little different than what I think people expect to hear. I think people a lot a lot of people expect to hear um, guilt trips about money, saying you ought to do this or you should feel bad that you don't do this. What Paul does instead is he says, "I want to warn you because something is dangerous." It, it's not it's not saying, "Well, I'm I'm going to try to you know put pressure and make you feel like oh, okay, I got to do this or whatever." It's saying this is for your good. And if I don't warn you about this, it could be for your bad. Like there's something there's something to look out for in making money the center of your life or the chief pursuit of your life. That's going to go poorly for you. You think it's going to make you happy, but it's actually going to lead to harm, ruin, grief. Like this is not going to be good for you. And so I'm for your good telling you don't make that the center of your life, not to guilt trip you, but so that you can have life. Yeah, one of the things that I – that I saw connected to that is in verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Up at the top, he says, like, you know, if you have food or your clothing, you know, you're going to be content with that. But then down here he says, everything for our enjoyment. And so it's kind of like God does provide necessity. And obviously we we know, like from a lot of us, we have more than just food and clothing, right? We have a lot of things that we can enjoy that our jobs and our money provides us with. But are we putting everything that we have, all of our hope, into those things, right? Or I'm going to be happier if I obtain more of these things. And so I think it's a fine line between understanding that, um, yes, God does bless us with more than just a necessity. He allows us to enjoy things with with some of the wealth that we assume, like consume or have, but are we letting it go to our heads? And those are the things that I think get really dangerous. We can't, we can't let it go. We can't let it be our hope. Yeah, I actually think there's a relationship between whether or not we make it our hope and whether or not we enjoy it. Yeah. That, that sometimes when we put our hope in something and say, this is so important, I've got to have it. If not, things will go wrong or I, the, my future won't be secure or uh, you know, I, I won't have satisfaction. When we do that, it actually robs us of the ability to enjoy it. We're worried about it all the time. We're obsessed with it in ways that that uh, distort our relationships. Yeah, like yep. there, there's there's fear about what would happen. Mm-hmm. But when we say this isn't everything to me, it actually can become something truly enjoyable. We can say, you know what, this doesn't have to be everything to be something good, and and it puts it in the right place. And suddenly it's like, oh wait, this is this is a blessing from God, not God itself. Yeah. So in that way, there's a difference between money and loving money or putting your hope in money. So I think I've said this before on a podcast episode. It's probably worth repeating again. There's nothing wrong with money. Have it. 
enjoy it. I hope you have lots of it. And if your money's bothering bothering you, just go ahead and give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, enjoy in, un, enjoy blessings. Enjoy money. Just don't love it and don't put your hope in it. Yeah, and, and I think, too, I don't know if this is a direct connection or I, I don't know. I'm connecting it. But 18, he says, commend them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Like, if you have a lot of money and you're wealthy— um, Part of your enjoyment doesn't just come from what you like, what you can get, but it's also what you can give away. So if you're doing good deeds and you are serving people in need, or you're you know donating to charity, whatever the case is, it, it's enjoyable to see what you can do with the things that God has given you. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast that there, there's something about God that is happy, and he, it's happy because He's generous. Like those are those are those are related things. Um, I also see in verse 19, uh, it talks about laying up treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. There's there's something that um, is secure in the way that riches are not. Uh, there's something that we can say, this will never come or go. The thing that is coming in the future, the, the, the true uh, riches that are there, that's something secure. It's a foundation. It's solid. It's firm. Uh, and then it also says that we may take hold of that which, a life that is truly life. And I think this is really, really important because I think sometimes the things of this world lie to us and tell us this is what you need to have a good life. And what Paul is saying is if you actually put your perspective in a different direction, if you start using your money for these other things, if you start uh, putting your hope in these other things, uh, you will find a life that is truly life. The, the life that you, you are hoping to find through gathering riches, you'll find actually by using your riches for these, these more generous open-handed things. All right, so here's a question. I know we're just in observations now, yeah. but just a, a, a random question that's in my mind for you two. How would you know if you cross the line between just genuinely enjoying money and God's blessings in your life and loving it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a, such a good question. I, I heard, mm-hmm. um, I think Tim Keller, he talks about, he's, he was you know a pastor for 40 years or whatever, and he said, I had lots and lots of people come to me and confess almost every sin that, that is listed in the Bible. You know, people, you know, people confess, you know, uh, lust, they confess pride, they confess all sorts of things. He said, I never had someone come and tell me, I I just think I'm greedy. Like I'm just, I'm too into my money. And he said, part of that is that it's one of those ones that you can always find someone who it looks like loves money a little bit more than you or has more money than you or is is misusing their money in a way that you aren't. And it's one that actually uh, fools you a little bit. So it's harder to be self-aware that you're doing it. He's he's like, uh, people know if you're, Cheating on your spouse, you're, you're not like, oh, what am I? You know, like you, you know that that's what you're doing. Um, but money is so subtle, uh, especially because you norm to the people around you, and it's like, well, this is this is kind of what's normal in my community, and I'm kind of in the middle of that. You don't feel like you're doing something strange or something wrong, um, and so it, you do have to have some of those those questions. I think one that I would go to is, um, what do I think would happen if this was taken away? And so some of that is practical. You'd say, well, I'd have to figure out how to pay for certain things that I'm currently paying for. But it's at that more emotional level of what what would be at stake if I didn't have this. Sometimes that tells you kind of how much hope you've put in something. That's true, not just for money, but for relationships or a job or, you know, all, all sorts of things that you might say, this is um, this is where I'm putting my hope. Uh, but saying, what would, hap- what would I feel? What would I think? How would I f- think about my future if it was taken away? Uh, for me, it's... It would be, it would be like thinking about it more than I think about anything else. Like having that be 
my driving motivation and everything that I do, everything that I think, like I'm going to consume my time with how do I actually get more of it? Um, that's what I, that's how, where I think I, it would be like if I, if I was putting my hope in wealth or if I was loving money, I would just put all my energy into amassing more of it. I wonder if, if this is hard to get, but outside perspective. So sometimes you need to ask someone is the way I'm using my money. Does it fit? What, what would, you know, if someone was following Christ and truly was content and truly was, you know, looking out for the good of others and had their hope in, in heaven, like would, would that person be using their money the way I am? You'd have to find someone who really had a good grasp of that, that could be honest with you. Um, but in some ways, that's like the area of our life that we least share with someone. Like people don't necessarily know. You don't talk about your finances, you, you, right? What, what yeah. your budget is or what, you know, they're not like, here's my, you know, credit card statement. Can you tell me if this is godly? Like you, we don't do that. Uh, we, we'll sooner talk about, you know, uh, pornography, then we'll talk about that. And so it's one of those things that um, we, it's really private and no one can really call us out on, but maybe we got to let people see. Uh, another observation for me is verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. This is Paul coaching a younger pastor, and he's telling him, you need to tell the people in your congregation who are at the highest levels of wealth that they need to be rich in good deeds and to not put their hope in wealth. Uh, And it's not a – it doesn't seem like it's, hey – chastise them for actually being rich. That's not it. The, the problem isn't being rich. Listen, if, if you have a lot of money and a lot of assets, God bless you. Enjoy it. Appreciate the abundance. Um, but there's something pastoral that a good pastor is going to do for his or her congregation members, which is warn people that misplaced hope is eternally dangerous. Yeah, there, there's something very obvious to us about saying, if you have children, we should probably help you understand how to parent your children in a godly way. If you are married, well, let's talk about how you go about your, your marriage in a godly way. If you're working someplace, let's talk about work in that way. Um, we feel a little uncomfortable saying, should we be discipled? Should we be coached by um, our, our church in the area of money? And that feels – socially, it's it's awkward. Um, this is actually – this verse right here, command those who are rich in this present uh, world, that one that – Eric just read, is one of the reasons that we have a generosity ministry in our church. So we say, we want to take seriously God's responsibility he put on us as a church to help those who have money to use, to use it in a godly way that's going to be good for them and good for the world around them. So that's that's the reason we do that. Another verse that sticks out to me is, and maybe it's like the foundation or the premise of the way Paul thinks about this, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh Implication, you could spend your life trying to amass more things and more money, and it's completely pointless. You can't take it with you. So it's the, it's the uh, don't waste your life. Was that a John Ortberg book? Uh, or John Piper. Someone named John. One of the Johns. <laughs> John Ortberg and John Piper are two very different humans. It was John Piper. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Ortberg, uh, Ortberg's book was It All Goes Back in the Box. It All Goes Back in the Box. Yeah. yeah, that's, it. yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Same idea. Two different Johns. <laughs> First John, second John. 
Uh, I'll highlight a, a verse here we haven't talked much about, but it's it's one of those really cool God verses, because uh, one of the things we observe are truths about God. But uh, in verse 15, it talks about God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light. No one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Like, Paul, Paul was talking about money and like pursuing godliness and all sorts of stuff. And he just like something just sparked something for him. And he was on a roll. Like it just, the praise just burst out. And I love that. Um, that's one of those ones that uh, if you've got time to uh, slow down longer than we can give you 45 seconds for to pray through those attributes of God, worship God, uh, that's, a, that's a really cool uh, list in there. It actually reminds me of a hymn that we sometimes sing here, Immortal, Invisible, uh, God Only Wise. Uh, this, a lot of those attributes come uh, from this verse. I was just about to start humming it and yeah. I contained myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's do meditation now. Even though I mentioned that passage, I'm not going to use that as the meditation. Uh, I'm going to have us use the uh, verses 18 and 19 here because I think it's a good summary of what Paul's saying. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Take about 45 seconds and ponder that passage. Let's go to the second M in comma, which is message. What do we get out of this passage? Um, One of the things that's popping out here, it's from that section, verses 17 and 18, um, what we just meditated on. Um, My hope in God means that I could be generous with what I have. My message is that my life is not only in the here and now, but it's in the then and there. There is the life I live on the earth, and then there is eternal life with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth, and they are not disconnected. My message is use your wealth to undermine wealth's lies. So you use your money mm-hmm. to undermine the lies of money. And, and I get that from that uh, last phrase where it talks about taking hold of life that is truly life. Um, that idea that we can be convinced that the things of the here and now are the things that really matter and make a difference. And that's a lie. And, and uh, money and stuff are convincing us that that's true. And the world around us is putting pressure on us to say that's true. But what Paul is saying is there is a way, if you've got money, to use that money. The, the, he's saying to the rich, he's saying if you use your money in certain ways to, for, for good and being rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share – it will change how you see what the truth about money. It will make you say, Here, here's what's actually true. Here's a life that's actually worth living. Here's an, a life that will actually satisfy. Here's where uh, I will actually find hope. And it's actually by using the money that you get convinced of that. It's not by just thinking about those things. It's by saying, 
you know what? I'm going to do those things. And you start to believe where your hope really is. Because otherwise, the money is going to keep telling you, I'm your hope. I'm your hope. I'm, your, I'm life that's truly life. But if you start, start changing that, you start experiencing the truth that, that life is really out there. All right, let's talk about A, application. What do we do in response to this? Uh, my application connected to my message, my hope uh, in God means that I can be generous with what I have. Um, it's, it's that idea that um, because I trust that God is going to provide for, all, for my needs, right, and more, um, I get to actually enjoy uh, the things that I have uh, personally, but I also get to give them away so that other people can enjoy them as well. And um, I just, I, you got to be have open eyes to look for opportunities to do that and not be so, you know, not have blinders on, just focused on yourself and what you have, but uh, to look at the people around you and say, okay, you know, God has given me these things. How can I be generous? I want to change my message to more is not always better. Can I do that on the podcast? Yeah, you okay. can do that. I just, I just retracted my first message and I'm inserting a second message. More is not always better. So then my application is, if accumulation is your motivation, it will result in frustration. Ooh. Oh, oh How about see, that? There you go. I had to change my message to be able to say that. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, my my app, my app, I I have like this. Uh, my personality, my gift mix lends itself to always wanting to improve things, mm. and so in some ways, I could say it's an exercise in discontentment. Right, you're looking at something. You're saying it could be better. It could be better. It could be better, which then can be like I'm. I'm constantly. My wife gets so annoyed with. It. I'm constantly looking at the yard. And be like, you know what we could put there? We could get some bushes <laughs> and put there. You know what we could do over here? You know, we could we could paint that furniture. We could buy a new. And that's all. That can all. If you don't check it, it's all accumulation. And so my my application is for me. This is just me. Maybe I'm talking to some people listening to this podcast episode. But for me. It's checking checking that thing in me that always wants to improve everything all the time hmm. um, because sometimes stuff just needs to just – you just need to be content with the way it is. I, I think the idea of using your wealth in order to experience what's actually true, like, a, like true life, one way to do that would be to say, all right, just pick a chunk of money that you have, whatever, whatever the right size for you is, okay? And I'm just saying, you know – this, this is for the, the practice. This isn't saying I'm setting a regular discipline. It's just you find a little bit of money. You say, I'm going to give it away. And just assume you're going to give it away. You're not going to use it for yourself. But what you ask is not, okay, where should I, should I give this away? Find the most fun thing you can think of doing by giving that away and see what that feels like. Like instead of just saying, okay, am I supposed to do it this way or that way? Say, this would be a blast to give this money to this person and make their day or to contribute to this thing that I just think is an important cause or would make someone happy or whatever. And just do that like one experiment of say, is this, does this feel like the, like good, the good life? You know what I mean? That I got to do that. And it was fun to give that amount of money away and just see how it feels. That's good. All right, friends, that's all that we have for you. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading with us. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.